do this. So I went, not someone else. Nehemiah didn't go, mm, somebody should do something about that. It's terrible. Another cup of wine, king. He went, I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. See, he went. He followed a call. And that's where we're picking this up. Nehemiah has heard from God, and he's now following the call. We need people who hear from God and follow the call. Not just somebody else should do that, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to do something. He wasn't a qualified construction worker. He was an advisor to the king. He had no skills that are apparent that he was bringing to the table apart from the call of God. And that's all he needed was the call from God. And then we carry on in verse 15. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. The first thing I want us to see, other than that Nehemiah followed a call, was the next thing that Nehemiah did, which was he checked the walls. He checked the walls. It says there that he inspected the walls. Friends, real change starts by honestly inspecting and checking the walls of our life. There are areas of all our lives, there are areas of our city, there are areas of our church that may be broken. There may be areas in your life, in fact I can say it confidently because we are humans, there are areas in your life that are broken. Maybe there's real genuine struggles going on. Phil has already mentioned about finances, and, and the, it's not financial issues that, uh, that are, the, are the, the main issue. It's how we respond to them. How do we react to those? Is there brokenness in your life? Is there things that you know are not in alignment? Even if you're not a Christian and you're just exploring this whole thing called Christianity, you just know that there's a hole, that there's something not Right, and, and Nehemiah starts by checking the walls. Because there's a thing with, with holes in our lives, is that they may seem to be uh, not a problem, but they have a, a tendency to develop and grow and actually dictate, and disaster can follow. Especially if you're young or a young adult, we have this idea. See, I said we then. See how I classified myself as young and young adult? We have this problem oh, in my dreams. Um, we have this idea that if, if only this would change, and we, uh, then things would get better. And I encourage you to listen to the last series that we, we just finished called Changed. And, and, and that's not the reality. It's not when you finish school, or it's not when you get that new job, or it's not when you get that new car, or that new uh, girl, or new guy, or just get married. Then all my... All the holes in my life will get filled in. It doesn't work like that. A number of years ago when we were still in Britain, so I guess almost 15 years ago now, we lived in a, an old church manse. And uh, it was a, a church house that we were able to buy and it needed a lot of uh, do-it-yourself and construction work. And we just felt that we were getting on top of it when uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, I was on my way to preach at the church that I was pastoring at the time. And I walked past one of, one of these 
uh, radiators. Now, I was chatting with Curtis that many of you will have experienced the joy of having radiators in your house. Many of you have not. It was a, a way of providing heat. And just to give you a little bit of uh, some instruction so that you can understand where I'm going in this, is this is filled with water, dirty, foul water usually that's fed from the attic. And, and that attic tank gets filled constantly from the main line. And so it's this constant system of hot water going around your house. And I walked past. Ours didn't look as fancy as that. It was the best one I could find. Ours was much older than this. And I walked past on the way to Sun on church. And down here in the, in the, in the corner, I felt this, this squirt of water hit my leg. And that's not good. The tiniest little hole. Because what happens with old radiators, I hope you're taking notes. What happens with old radiators is they rust and decay from the inside. They look good on the outside, but there's holes. You can't see them, but then suddenly we find out that they're there. Now, I could just ignore that, but the reality is, is as the radiator empties and squirts all over my nice carpet, it's just getting filled up with more water. So, being the handyman that I am, I decided I'm going I'm to replace this radiator. And it was in our dining room, and, and so I got all my tools, I got my little bucket, or, uh, and I got my, all, my, all my wrenches, or spanners as we call them in, in Britain, and I had it all ready to go, and I received my, uh, my instruction from Chris this morning. This, this thing here is called a stop valve, is that right, in Canada? We don't call them that in Britain, something very different, that apparently is inappropriate in Canada, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> So you turn this, and it isolates the radiator, so all the water just, is just in the radiator. And then there's a little tap underneath there. You can just see it, and it's got a little thing inside. You turn it, and the, and the radiator just gently fills your bucket. And then you can get rid of that, and you can turn it back on, and it just slowly empties the radiator so you can take it off the wall. Perfect plan. Except what I didn't realize was on this particular old radiator of ours, this stop valve was not working very well. And so I isolated it, and I started turning the little thing inside the tap, and the full force of Niagara, it felt like, came out of this tap, filled my little bucket in seconds, and then overflowed onto me and all over the dining room. It, just, it was gushing out. So what I do is what everybody does in a situation like this. Sarah! Help! Because I knew this stuff wasn't going to stop. I needed to find the thing that had forced its way out so I could put it back in and turn it. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Sarah comes in the dining room. It's chaos. There's black water filling our dining room. And she, she does what every wonderful wife does. She starts to laugh. I knew at that moment... First of all, I thought, I've chosen the wrong one. Then I thought, no, I've chosen the right one. So I said, Sarah, I've got to find the thing, otherwise this water's never going to stop. It was just gushing and gushing and gushing. I'm throwing water now out of my front window onto my front lawn. Sarah, Sarah, I need to find the... Still laughing. So eventually I thought, Lord, I, I reverted to prayer. I was so desperate, I started to pray. I turned the valve, it clicked once more. And it stopped. Oh, so good. Later on, I found the little thing that I was looking for on my front lawn. So I'd gone out with the first bucket. It was covered in black water. I'd sliced my thumb somehow. It was blood trickling down my arm. I went into the boiler room, very different kind of boilers in Britain. They get very hot. I inadvertently put my thumb that I just cut onto the boiler, burnt my thumb. This was not 
a good morning. I went back into the dining room. It was covered in black water. It was disgusting. I knelt down by the radiator and I put my arm on top of the radiator to put the thing back in. And I put my arm on top of a wasp. And I got stung. Thank you for the R. Last night's crowd. There's no sympathy at all. They just laughed. It wasn't a good morning. How did it all start? With a tiny little hole that ended in complete disarray and disaster. Friends, we have to inspect the walls of our lives. Those little holes that we think that we can ignore that are not in alignment with what God's plan is for you, we have to address them. And like Nehemiah, we come and we say, okay, what are the areas, first of all? We need to check the walls of our lives because we grow used to them. We develop comfort blindness. We think that it's fine. And sometimes it takes somebody else coming into your life and pointing it out and going, you know, maybe you're not seeing this. Maybe, maybe this is not right. Because notice Nehemiah goes, just with a small group of people, the people in the city had grown used to the hot walls. He wanted a very select group who could analyze the wall without any interference, without any kind of, oh, it's fine. We need to come before the Lord and we need to examine the walls of our lives. Friends, are we willing to walk the walls of our lives, willingly submitting and, uh, to God's will and to maybe the leadership and the people that God has put around you? Are we willing to walk the walls of our marriage? Are we willing to walk the walls of our family, the walls of our habits, the walls of our relationships, the walls of the things that we have become entrenched in, thinking that no one is going to notice, but it will lead to disaster? It's a lot more fun examining other people's walls. Have you noticed that? They need to sort that out. Look at the size of that hole. What about our walls? You see, that's where the gospel starts. The gospel starts, I've said this many times because it's true. The gospel starts with losing faith in ourselves before we place faith in what happened on the cross. We lose faith because we recognize that I can't do anything about this hole. No amount of counseling, no amount of, 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 of self-help, nothing that I can do can fix this hole. Only coming to Jesus, bringing the whole of our lives and saying, Lord, help me, forgive me. So the first thing that Nehemiah does is he becomes very, very humble and checks the walls. Remember the scripture, if my people will humble themselves and pray That's where Nehemiah starts. He started with prayer. We heard from Pastor Phil last week. Heard the call. He prayed. Now he's inspecting. Secondly, Nehemiah champions the people. I love this. Nehemiah champions the people. He checks the walls. He champions the people. Look at this verse in verse 7. Oh, let me just revert. Oh, no, that's the wrong place. I'm going to come to that in a minute. Nehemiah, I see, now you're excited. Nehemiah 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble, again, interactive preaching, we are in. Not you. My goodness, look at the mess these walls are in. You better sort something out. I'll be sat pointing at stuff over there. Look at the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us Build. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem. Friends, God calls us to be champions. 
He calls us to recognize the issue and to champion it. Not to sit at a distance and decide that somebody ought to do something about it. But if you see an issue, you see a hole maybe in the church that you think maybe that's something that needs to be filled. Maybe, maybe we should be doing something about that. Maybe you see a hole in somebody else's life. And rather than sitting back and just saying you ought to do something, what Nehemiah does, he says, what can we do? This is my problem now as well. Not just your problem. I'm going to stand with you. Let us build God calls us to be champions. God calls us to be champions. See, David was a wonderful example of a champion. This young man, hugely unqualified, comes and he arrives, he brings cheese sandwiches for his brothers, and then he gets caught up in the action. What's going on? He hears Goliath shouting obscenities and pulling, this is the hole in the wall, if you like. This is not right. Somebody needs to do something. He heard the call, and he followed through. He became literally the champion on behalf of Israel. Friends, we need a church full of champions, people who will stand and encourage and inspire, not just criticize and judge, but will actually own the problem and say, I'm gonna, I've got something I can do. I haven't got skills, but you know what? I'm just going to stand with you. What can I do to help? We need leaders. We need champions. One of our prayers for this year is, is for 30 leaders practically raised up in this church. And I believe that that's God's plan. But the place is filled with champions. You have all got influence and leadership in lots of different circles and areas. How are you inspiring? How are you championing? I'll go back to this image because I know that's probably mostly what you've been thinking about. If something is important to us, we will find a way. If it isn't, we'll find an excuse. Now, this is a silly image. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I love it. It's not real, by the way. It's photoshopped in case anybody writes in for cruelty against mice or something like that. Although, it's not going to end well, is it, for the mouse? But if we're really passionate about something, friends will find a way. If we're really passionate about our belief in Jesus Christ and about the importance of the church and how it is the hope of this city, then we will find a way to be champions. We won't make an excuse. We won't point at somebody else. We'll say, what can I do? Phil spent some time talking about the youth auction, and we heard how the rush needs volunteers. There are so many different areas in this church. We should not have any problem with volunteers in this church or with giving in this church because this church is filled with champions, people who will stand, who will find a way. Because what David did is he moved from this thought of me to we. He went from the I to the whole. What can I do for the whole? See, every one of you is a leader in some context, and your words and actions will either dim or brighten people's passions around you. Our, our faith, our belief, our joy, our love for Jesus should inspire people towards Jesus. Unfortunately, I think there are times when our responses and our reactions actually put people off Jesus. 
But you see, we're called to be champions, just like this young man, David, and Nehemiah, who will stand and go, I'm going to represent God in this situation for you. I'm going to stand with you. And they move from centering on themselves to thinking about the whole. How did he do this? How did David do it? Did Did he do this big brave heart speech? Did Nehemiah gather everybody together in the city and and, and put a headset mic on and go, okay, this is how this is going to work. No, he went quietly. He just got on with the job. What did David do? He bent down and picked up five stones. And he just started to walk towards the problem. He walked towards the hole. He walked towards that which God had called him to, the cause that God had created in his heart. And the result of this... And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me. See, he starts inspiring those people around him upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And look at the response of the people. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. They went from me to we. They went from I to the whole. They shifted their focus from their life to what can we do? And friends, if I take you back to where I started, how do we see a city changed? It starts with the church and this group of people saying, what can I do? What are the areas in my life I need to bring to the Lord in confession? What can I do in this church to champion the cause of Jesus? What can I do in my workplace to champion and inspire and be life and light to people who really lack it? How can I do that? And the result is other people will join you. Each of us needs to take our place in the work that God is doing. Some really interesting verses in in chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanail. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri built. And next to them, and next to them, and next to them. There's this rising up. It takes one of you, one of you, to decide, to hear the call, to confess, to become before Jesus And then to start the work. And I promise you, just like the Israelites behind David, they rose off their jaxies and chased after him. They joined him. And the people joined Nehemiah. And we have champions in this church. And I want to encourage you, rise up and start building. People will join you. Because God uses our diversity. He loves that we, we're a, we're a strange bunch, aren't we? Let's be honest. Let's just have, let's have circle time. Let's just, let's just take a moment. We're a bit, we're a bit odd, aren't we? Where else are you going to get a group of people of different ages and different backgrounds and different experiences, different races, different sexes, different, all over the place, gathering together to sing songs together? It's odd. I love it. God uses our diversity. He needs you. He doesn't need you in the sense of he's incapable, but the plan is made more beautiful with you in it. Because your voice and your circle 
And your area and your leadership and your championing makes this church, his bride, great. And it takes one or two of us to stand up for the rest of us to actually go, actually, I'm going to join in with that. And the next few verses is a great example of it. Verse 8 and 9. Notice that it got goldsmiths, perfumers. I want to know why they didn't put the perfumers on the dung gate. That would have made me laugh. <laughs> They've got rulers. These people are not skilled builders. They're just willing. Count me in. I'll do it. I'm there. And where did it start? It started from Nehemiah checking the walls. Where did that start? From Nehemiah positioning himself and hearing the call and confessing before God. Just takes one. But I have to recognize, we have to recognize, we've got a couple of things against us. As humans, why do we struggle from going from the me to the we, from the I to the whole? Why do we struggle? I think the first reason is that we have this innate sense of selfishness that we're born with. Any of you who have ever had a toddler in your house will say amen. Total self-centered, egocentric, most important person in the world, toddler, born with it. And it carries on through life. You know, Copernicus said that the sun was the center of the universe. Our culture has changed that and made us the center of the universe. That we actually, if you think about it, our frustration, our impatience, our anger, oftentimes is rooted in the idea that actually I'm God and everything else should serve me. We're selfish. And the only way you can break out of that is through the cross. That's the first thing against us, is this innate sense of selfishness, why we don't want to be community, why we don't want we. The, the second reason is, is our culture has amped this up. It celebrates the individual more than the whole. Chuck Colson calls it radical individualization. It's this just, it's just all about me. You need to turn the TV on and watch a a commercial to see proof of that, that you are the most important because you're worth it. Ladies, you need to buy that perfume or makeup. Why? Because you're worth it. And 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 it's it's this idea, and there's so many more for guys as well. The cold commercial is just this idea of you are the center of the universe. And so when we come along and go, actually, no, it's not about I, it's about we, we, we struggle with that. It seeps into the church because we've, we've grown this idea of, is it just Jesus and me? Glenn, I can have church in my car. No, you can't. You can't. Because if you actually look at what church is biblically, there are certain sacraments, there are certain things that need to happen in order for church to be church. You can't do that in your car. I, you know, I can, I can worship Jesus effectively by the side of the lake. Yeah, you can. But there's also a biblical mandate for people to gather together and celebrate together. You see, we resist it. We've made it just Jesus and me. Whereas the Bible is filled with people who have been about the whole. What can I do for the whole? So, really, we want the personal and emotional commitment... Uh, sorry, the personal and emotional effect that Jesus can have in our lives, and it's beautiful, but we resist as a culture the commitment that that should bring to church, the commitment that that brings to our community. 
Friends, there is no such thing as that someone else's job. One of the wonderful things about this passage, if you study it, is you will see people who are building the wall in areas of the city and even areas in Jerusalem. They don't even live. They just love Jerusalem. Do you serve in areas that may not have direct influence on you? Do not have direct effect on you? Are you serving in the children's department even though you don't have children at home anymore? Are you serving at Rush because, because even though you may not have youth anymore? Are you looking for ways in which to serve and commit to the whole so that we can build and we can affect the city? Remember, if something is important to us, we will find a way. If you have a new baby, it's a great opportunity. So now you can champion with the baby. You're going to circles that it quite frankly would be odd for me to turn up in. You know, mum and toddler time, and I just turn up and say, well, I just want to influence and champion you all for Jesus. That would be odd and likely end up in not a good situation. Whereas ladies, grandparents, dads, you could take your baby and now you have another circle of influence. See, none of us are without excuse. Soccer games, basketball games, your work, your places where you hang out and you send leisure, it's, it's an opportunity for you to champion. One of my greatest champions is my wife, Sarah. I can boast on her um, because she's, she's worthy of it, I think. She, she amazes me. When we had little ones at, how, at home... It didn't become the, okay, I'm just going to hunker down and just, this is just me and this baby. She would go and join groups and the people that she would bring to church as a result of that because she saw that God is giving an hour another opportunity to go and share the gospel with somebody. If it snows for Sarah, that's just an opportunity to go and clear her neighbor's driveway way up the road. She disappeared for an hour or two last winter. We didn't know where she'd gone. She'd gone and cleared somebody's um, pathway quite a way up the neighborhood, and then they ended up sitting down having a cup of coffee. The lady came to church the next week and joined our community group. Snow is a great opportunity. Kids in soccer, she goes, she invites. We were giving out, we're coaching soccer teams right now. We were giving out little bags at Christmas for the, for the boys. What did she put in each one of them? Living nativity invite. Another opportunity. See, we all have these areas where we can champion. Some beautiful words. It says, and next to him, and next to him, and next to him. By ourselves, we can do some impressive change. But church together... Wow, that's city changing. Joining together. In Ephesians 4, 16, as I just come to an end, it says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow. I really do believe that God can change our city. And... One of the most inspiring stories that I often reflect on is the, the Welsh Revival of 1904, and I'm going to finish with this. Uh, in 1904, I, I, I pastored a church in Wales, and, and Wales is filled with chapels, like chapels everywhere. And you see, there's this, this beautiful story of the way this nation was changed 
because a small group of people, and actually centered around a young adult, Evan Roberts, he was in his early 20s, he heard the call just like Nehemiah. He was filled with the voice of God, and he took action just like Nehemiah. He was supported by a group of elderly ladies praying. And then revival, he used to write to his friends and say, is it possible that God could convert 100,000 souls in Wales? And within months, he saw his prayer come about. Now, you're not talking about delicate people. You're talking about miners. Wales is a mining country, or at least it was. And their whole life was dictated to buy the mine. The, this mine, they would come out of the mines, they would go straight to the pubs, they would get drunk, they would go home, and they would beat up on their families, and then they would go back to the mines, and it was just a cycle of abuse and alcoholism, and, and it was just a dreadful nation. And there are stories, you know, the local, uh, sorry, the national newspapers used to write how many people had been converted the day before. Just imagine that in the Daily Courier. Because miners would go into the pubs, they would sit and they'd order their pint, they'd look at their pint, and there are testimonies of them just weeping over the holes in their lives, the sin they were convicted by. There was no preacher, it was the Spirit of God moving. How did that start? I believe by Evan Roberts and this group of people believing and hearing the call. Evan used to go and preach in places. He used to stand up and preach at people as they left the mines. It changed the nation. It became known as the land of the white glove because the judges had nobody to judge. There was no crime, so they used to put white gloves on as a symbol. Imagine that. Kelowna's most wanted on Castanet. Blank space. Nobody. Because they've been convicted of their sin and they're in church. Do you know that the whole mines used to get closed down because the pit ponies didn't understand what the miners were saying to them anymore because all the cussing had stopped. I'm not lying. This is true. They used to put signs outside of the mines saying, please stop returning the stolen tools. Because there was piles of, of shovels and wheelbarrows, I guess, and chisels that the miners were convicted about. And brought. That is revival. And you can't deny that happening. And where does it start? If my people, who are called by my name, you and me, would humble themselves and pray. We would look for the walls in our the holes in our walls and come before Jesus and say, God help me. That's where it starts. And then take action. So, friends, what does your week look like? <laughs> I hope it looks a little bit different now. I hope your week looks like, Lord, I'm gonna walk the wall of my life. Show me what I need to bring to you in confession. And then it looks like, okay, what, what, what action can I take? I'd love for Pastor Steve or Curtis or Phil or myself to get phone calls and emails going, where do you need help? What is there in our city that you could come and, and you could be that David, that Nehemiah, and other people will join you? What could you start? What could you do? What difference can you make in the part of the wall that God has given you? And I really believe that if we did that as a whole, as a church, the impact that we would have on our city, I think maybe in a hundred years' time, people would be telling stories from pulpits about what happened in Kelowna. Wouldn't that be great? Let's pray.
Dear Lord, I pray that as we just sit with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that even now you would speak to us. That, Father, that we would hear the stories of Nehemiah and David and Evan Roberts and these other people who have gone before us, the prayers, the intercessors, the people who say, I, I will go. That, Father, that something would just grow inside each one of us. Thank you, Father, that you have called us to an amazing mission, and you've not just left us alone, you've equipped us for it. And Father, I pray by your Spirit that we too would be able to tell the stories because of the way you have moved, first of all, in us and then in our city. We ask these things, Lord Jesus, because we know that that is your plan, that is your will, that is your desire. Amen.